0: You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. Well, happy Easter. Jesus is alive. Amen. This is why we are here. And this is why we sing. This is why we have Bibles. This is why Christians, why we do everything that we do. It's because we really do believe that Jesus of Nazareth, the eternal son of God, was born in Israel in the first century, that he taught, that he healed, that he did miracles, that he walked on water, that he did a million things that even the Gospel of John says the world couldn't even contain all of the things if they were written down that Jesus did. We also believe that he was crucified by the Romans at the instigation and the irritation of Jerusalem's religious leaders. And we also believe that he rose again from the dead three days later, and now 20 centuries in that Jesus is still alive. This is the great hope of Christianity. This is the great hope of every Christian that he lives so I ask you to please take your Bibles and let's look at the telling of Jesus's resurrection. And in the Gospel of Matthew, it's the very first book in the New Testament. If you don't have a Bible, there should be one around you on the ground. Or you can take your device and go to Bible Gateway. I'm reading from the English Standard Version. Or you can go to ESVonline.org. And, or you can just Google Gospel of Matthew and you will find it and it will be there. I invite you to look on and we're going to begin in verse 1 of chapter 28 and look at what happened on this Easter Sunday. And if you're new with us, we're glad you're here. Our custom is at at this time when we read the Bible. We stand together for the reading of God's Word. So I invite you to stand if you're able and let's read together the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Beginning in verse 1, the Holy Spirit says, Now after the Sabbath, that's Sunday, For I know that you seek Jesus who is crucified. He is not here for he has risen. As he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples and behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings, greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell the people His disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ears, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And the story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us as we have this word open. Would you stir in us by the power of the Holy Spirit to react accordingly to the resurrection that Jesus, you are alive. So help us now to behold it, to see it, to enjoy you by faith. Help us now. And it's in your mighty name we pray, Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. Friends, Christianity is not primarily about the moral commands found in the Bible. And it's not even primarily about the teachings of Jesus found in the Bible, though they are all important. The Bible and Christianity is primarily about what Jesus did. And I pray that this Easter, you will leave here and that you will know that this is what Christianity is chiefly about, that Jesus did die on Good Friday for sinners and that he rose on Sunday and that he is alive right now today, that this weekend we remember on Good Friday and and on quiet Saturday and on Easter Sunday that this weekend really is the atomic nucleus of Christianity. And the Christian life isn't us just, okay, trying now to be good people, and us we're going to sing, and we're going to give, and we're going to do good works. That is not the best summary of the Christian life. The Christian life, if you pull back the curtain, if you lift up the hood, if you roll back the stone, The Christian life is riding the shockwave of Jesus's death and resurrection. That he saves us, that we cannot save ourselves. And for Christians, his death and resurrection for us, this is the reason that we do all that we do. And and I know that some of us are here because it's Easter and it seemed like a good thing to to come to church today. You came because of the holiday and we're, we're glad you're here. I'm so thrilled that you came. And I hope that you'll come back again. Because I hope that you'll discover today that Jesus died for you. That he died to pay for your sins. And I I hope you'll come back next week that after you discover Jesus died for you, that Jesus also rise from the dead for you. And that's why most of us will be here next week. That's why we pray for each other. That's why we pray to God. That's why we ask for Jesus's help. That's why we serve one another. That's why we love one another. That's why we love our enemies. That's why we forgive each other. That's why we go and tell people about Jesus because we really do believe that Jesus is alive. If we didn't, we wouldn't be here. If we didn't really believe Jesus is alive, there would not be a single church on the planet. So I hope you'll join us here next week too. Because Jesus, the real Jesus of the Bible, is worthy of our devotion, worthy of our worship, and worthy of our attention. And really, if you think about it, why did God do all of this then? Give his son to die and to rise? Why? The reason why we worship is that we see that God did this because God really does love us. Easter is the grand message that God really does love us people like you and like me, as the Bible testifies in Romans 5. But God proves his own love for us that while we were still sinners, not when you got yourself together, not when you finally became that good person you've been trying to be, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. What does it mean that he died for us? I mean, history affirms that Jesus died and telling you that Jesus died is probably not any news to you. But the good news element of that news, what we call the gospel, is that Jesus died as a payment for our sins. That we could not make ourselves good enough to get eternal life, but that Jesus grants us forgiveness by dying in our place as the sinless son of God. As First John says, God's love was revealed among us in this way, that God sent his one and only son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists in this. This is real love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the atoning sacrifice for our sins. He was the payment for our sins. He died in our place, willingly went to the Roman cross. He willingly had nails driven through his hands and feet that he took our sins upon himself. He took the punishment we deserve under the wrath of God. And now we are forgiven. Now you and I can be declared not guilty of all of our sins because of what Jesus did, as First Peter says, that he himself, Christ, bore our sins in his body on that tree so that having died to sins, Him dying for our sins, we might live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We need healing. Jesus didn't die for people who have it all together, guys. Mainly because those people don't exist. He died for those like us who don't measure up to God's standards. We are sinners. He died for a sinner, me. Me. And with Jesus, I'm forgiven and I'm made new and I'm given eternal life and it's offered to everyone in this room as well. So, do you believe that? Do you really believe that Jesus died for you and rose again? Amen. All you must do is look to Him by faith and believe that He died for you and rose for you and that He's alive right now. It all hinges on Jesus' resurrection because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then who cares? So what? He died on the cross. Big deal. Rome would crucify 2,000 people in a day sometimes, but only one rose again from the dead. I mean, just this past week, the BBC released a study showing that a quarter of people who describe themselves as Christians in Great, Great Britain, a quarter of those people who describe themselves as Christians, they don't believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Friends, to not believe in the resurrection of Jesus is to not be a Christian, A dead Jesus may provide inspiration for a good life, but he can't give salvation and eternal life. A dead Jesus may be a good teacher, but he cannot be a savior. Everything swings on the rolled back tomb of Jesus. Your reaction to the resurrection is what we must consider today. All of our reactions, because there are really only two choices So let's go back to Easter weekend and see the reaction, see what unfolded, and see where you are and where I am in light of the empty tomb. So take your Bible, your device, and I want you to go back just two paragraphs from Matthew 28. Matthew 27, beginning in verse 57. Let's look at these reactions on Friday and Saturday. Verse 57 says, When it came to, when it was evening. So what's happened now already is that Jesus has already died. And we need to think about this, that when Jesus was crucified, crucifixion was one of the most awful ways to die that man has ever come up with. Crucifixion was reserved for the worst of the worst criminals, for pirates and slave traders and insurrectionists and rebellion leaders in Rome. So why was Jesus crucified? He was convicted falsely as a criminal against Rome because of the lies of the religious leaders in Jerusalem. And the local government extension of Rome, they didn't care. They didn't want to cause any trouble. They're lobbying for Jesus' crucifixion. Okay, fine. They're chanting for it. Pilate, the Roman governor of this province, says, hey, I'll do it, whatever. But today we are so distanced from the shock and and horror of the crucifixion. We wear it around our necks. We put it on our buildings. Our, Our children draw it. That would never happen in the first century. No one would ever speak about crucifixion in public. That's why all four Gospels just give you a sentence and he was crucified. Because it's one of the most awful, horrible, despicable things to see in one's life. Crucifixion was designed to humiliate you, to strip you of your humanity. I mean, even today when someone is executed by the government, these death row inmates, that is done in private. Crucifixion was done in public so everyone could see it. Even execution today, people are blindfolded. But they're, they're stripped naked when they're crucified, nailed to a previously used cross. After you've been whipped and after you've been tortured, people would come and throw things at you, yell at you, make fun of you. It was, it was a form of entertainment for some you have flies all over your body that you couldn't get off because of all the wounds that you have. So there's Jesus dangling on a tree, two pieces of wood, and he dies in six hours. Or some crucifixion victims would hang there for weeks, days. Then we see Jesus' burial. That's where we begin in verse 57. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph who, and look, who was a disciple of Jesus. This is the first we hear of Joseph. This is all we know about him. He's a disciple. He's a follower of Jesus. And the way Jesus died, the most vile way to die in the first century, this didn't make Joseph fade into the background. It made him come forward. This is what is amazing about Joseph is that when a time to even associate with a crucified man would be, not kosher, would not be acceptable, would put your reputation on the line, Joseph, instead of hightailing it, Joseph comes forward. And what does Joseph want to do? Look at verse 58. He went to Pilate, the Roman governor, and asked for the body of Jesus. And Pilate ordered it be given to him. You need to consider this about Joseph, that obviously he's a very influential. We know he's wealthy. And like most places in the world, wealth makes you influential imagine being able just to walk to the mayor of Houston's office. Just walk up there tomorrow and say, hey, I'd like to meet with the mayor today. No, I don't want to schedule anything. i want to meet with him now. Everyone in this room would be told, you need to leave. <laughs> it's not happening. But Joseph can walk up to Pilate's office and say, I need to meet with Pilate. And he's granted a meeting. He's a very influential, very powerful man. He puts his reputation on the line. Why? I want that crucified body. Following Jesus will often put our reputations on the line. He asked for the body of Jesus because he wants to bury Jesus. And this is really important because crucified men and women did not get burials in the first century. It just didn't happen. They were usually left on the cross, dangling dead, eaten by birds and wild animals. Or they would be thrown into the city dump. But since Jesus was crucified in Jerusalem and it was against the law to have bodies hanging on crosses on Saturdays on the Sabbath, they would have taken Jesus's body down and just tossed it in the city dump. But Joseph comes forward as a disciple of Christ and he doesn't want Jesus to be dishonored that way. So Pilate grants him the body. In fact, the gospel of Mark, the next gospel, tells us in more detail that Joseph actually took down the body of Jesus himself. I want you to think about that for a second. Get out of just Bible land. This is reality. Joseph takes down the body of Jesus himself. Joseph would have grabbed a ladder and walked up to Calvary, walking past Jesus's own blood on the ground. He would have walked up and saw a corpse of the man he followed just dangling there. He would have set up the ladder. He would have climbed up. He had to take out his hammer and he had to pry out the nails from Jesus's hands and feet. And he would have to cover the body of Christ and then put it on a cart and then take it to his own tomb to bury Jesus. As it says in verse 59, and Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud, verse 60, and laid it in his own new tomb. Joseph was putting the body of Jesus in his own tomb, which he reserved for himself, which he had cut into the rock, very expensive. And he rolled a great stone to keep grave robbers out in the entrance of the tomb, and then he went away. Joseph wraps Jesus in new grave clothes. And the Gospel of John says that Nicodemus, you may remember him, Nicodemus is the guy that Jesus told, you must be born again. And Nicodemus says, what, do I go back into my mother's womb? How am I going to do that? And Jesus says, no, you must be born again. For God so loved the world, he gave his son in this way. That everyone who believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. That same Nicodemus, the Gospel of John says, is also here with Joseph. And Nicodemus, who's also wealthy, brings 75 pounds of of spices and aloes to anoint the body of Jesus before they bury it. And now look at verse 61. Someone else is there. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary were there, sitting opposite the tomb. They're watching. They were at the cross, and now they're at the tomb, and they're watching Joseph and Nicodemus bury the body of Jesus. And they didn't finish the work because the sun went down. And that means when the sun goes down, Sabbath begins, and they had to stop working. That's why the Marys will be there Sunday morning to finish anointing the body. But what happened on Saturday? On Saturday, something incredible happens. But before we look at it, what is your reaction so far? What do you think has happened so far? What do you think of the crucifixion of Jesus Christ? Well, let's see what happens on Saturday. Look at verse 62. The next day, so this is Saturday, that is after the day of preparation, after they prepared Jesus' body, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered before Pilate. So now they're influential, they're having a meeting too. And they said, Sir, to Pilate, we remember how that imposter, that's what they're calling Jesus, that imposter said, Well, he was still alive, so he's dead, everyone knows he's dead. After three days, I will rise. Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day. Why? Why are they so worried? About it? Why do they want guards at the tomb? Lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he has risen from the dead. And the last fraud will be worse than the first. Pilate said to them, you have a guard of soldiers. Go and make the tomb as secure as you can. That might be the most hilarious line in the Bible. So they went and made the tomb secure by sealing the stone and setting a guard. So here you have these religious leaders going forward and calling for Pilate. Pilate, we need help to secure this because that imposter... The guy who's been a fraud his whole life as we're saying he's the son of God. He's the Messiah. He's going to tear the temple down. That He's going to come riding on a clouds. That imposter, that fraud, his followers said he's going to rise again from the dead. So why don't we put some black ops, special forces at the tomb to make sure this doesn't happen, that they don't come and steal his body. Pilate's a busy guy. I'm sure he's annoyed with these people coming to him. I mean, he's, got, he's a Roman governor. He's over this whole area. Let's just get these people off my back. Sure, have a guard, whatever. But isn't it shocking that they know Jesus said, what? After three days, I will rise. We need to consider the reality of a man saying, I'm going to come back from the dead. Jesus says this in Matthew 20. He's talking to his disciples and he says, see, we are going up to Jerusalem. The son of man, which Jesus often called himself, will be handed over to the chief priests and scribes and they will condemn him to death. They will hand him over to the Gentiles, the Romans, to be mocked, to be flogged and crucified. And on the third day, he will be raised. (laughs) Jesus is telling them, he tells us multiple times all throughout the gospels, I'm going to die. I'm going to be crucified and I'm going to rise again. Here he is predicting and promising how he will die, promising that he will rise. This is no shock to Jesus that this is unfolding this way. What's your reaction so far? Joseph and Nicodemus and Mary and Mary, they react like disciples, followers. They didn't distance themselves from Jesus, they're religious leaders. They're evading the claims of Jesus. They're still disturbed by his life and death and his claims. So where are you? Do you find yourself, even today, just distancing yourself from the claims of Christ? Or are you drawing near as a disciple? You can't be neutral to Jesus. You may think you are, but can you really think nothing of a man who said he was going to be crucified and said he was going to rise again from the dead? If, I, if we heard that today, we would say, that person's crazy or he's a liar. But then what if we heard he actually rose? We might think, okay, maybe he really is the Lord. The reactions on Friday and on Saturday really go down to two options. They are either, we are either honoring Jesus like Joseph, Nicodemus, Mary Magdalene, and the other Mary, or we are dishonoring Jesus like Pilate, like the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders. So where are you? Do you think he's an imposter and a fraud? And do you think he really is the son of God who takes away the sins of the world? And what happens on Easter Sunday? This is the earth-rattling message of hope. Look at the reactions on Sunday. Verse 1 of chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, after Saturday... Toward the dawn of the first day of the week, so the sun is rising now on Sunday morning, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. I think they're going, other gospels give us details, to go and finish anointing Jesus's body. In one of the gospels, they even say, we should have brought a guy. Who's going to roll back this stone for us? I don't know what we're going to do, but they keep walking. Verse two, and behold, there was a great earthquake. An angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. So there the the women are heading to the tomb and there an angel touches down on earth and the earth rattles and shakes and quakes at the power of this angel and the angel throws back the stone and he sits on it. What a great sign of disrespect to that stone. He's just gonna sit on it for a little bit. And look at what happens to the Roman soldiers, these black ops, special forces. Verse four, verse three, his appearance was like a lightning. His clothing white as snow. We've never seen anything like this. Verse four, and for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. I love that Matthew says they became like dead men because these are the only like dead men in the whole area. Because why? Verse five, the angel said to the women, do not be afraid for I know you seek Jesus who was crucified, who was dead. He is not here. He is no dead man for he has risen as he said, come see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead and behold, he is going before you to Galilee. So Jesus was crucified, the angel says, but he's alive. The religious leaders, they were right to be afraid. He is alive and he wasn't stolen. He was resurrected. His body's not even here. And the other gospels tell us they look in and they see Jesus's grave clothes all folded up. That tells you Jesus was not stolen. One, you wouldn't steal a naked corpse. And two, you wouldn't take the time to fold up the grave clothes and just put them down. Jesus rose from the dead and he's already headed to Galilee. He's got a head start. The angel said he's already gone. He's out. He's headed to Galilee. So go tell his brothers he's on his way. Now look at verse 8. So they departed quickly. They're running from the tomb with fear. Why with fear? This is often how our faith is, no matter what we face. There's fear and joy together. And there they are with fear, probably wondering, is this really happening? (laughs) Is the tomb really empty? Did we just see an angel knock out a bunch of Roman soldiers without doing anything? And yes, then they respond with great joy because yes, this really is happening. Jesus really is alive, but they haven't seen him yet until verse 9. So they're running to tell his disciples, Peter, James, John, the whole crew, going to tell them Jesus is alive. And behold, Jesus met them and said, greetings. It's amazing what Jesus, Jesus first words to them. Hi. It's almost like Jesus saying, I, I told, hey, I, I told you this was going to happen. I haven't been worried. You shouldn't be worried. That's why he says, greetings. And they came up and took a hold of his feet and worshiped him. Then Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. I I told you I would die and rise again. Now go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. Do you see their reaction? Greetings. They grab him and worship him. I mean, this is amazing that these women, they saw him die at the cross. They sat outside his tomb and watched him get buried. And then they saw him on Easter Sunday and they saw him alive. And by faith, we see the same thing. By faith, we see Jesus dying on the cross for our sins. And by faith, we see him buried in the tomb, sealed, guarded by Roman soldiers. And then by faith, we see him resurrected from the dead. And without the resurrection The crucifixion doesn't matter. This changes everything. And that's why the women's reaction is what? They grab a hold of his feet and worship him. This is the reaction we all must have. To grab a hold of him by faith and to worship him. And I love that the Bible says they grabbed his feet. That might seem insignificant, but it is not. The Bible wants to assure you this was no spiritual, ghostly kind of, you know, resurrection. This was his body. His feet, they grabbed him. On Easter morning, his body turned back on. That same body that was mangled on Friday turned back on on Sunday morning. His amino acids began to run again. His brainstem and cerebral cortex fired back up. And the heart that quit beating on Friday started pumping blood again through his veins. His central nervous system began to Fire on all cylinders. The lungs that the gospel says gave up his last breath now inhaled that first breath inside that cold tomb for the first time again. That core temperature of his body rose back up. His crusted eyes flung open because he lives. You know what this shows us? It shows us that the worst thing that can happen in your life is not the last thing. The worst thing that can happen in your life is not the last thing. The worst thing that could have happened to Jesus happened, crucified. And the best thing that could happen to us happened, he rose. And the Bible teaches us that because Jesus conquered death, and though we too will all die, we too will rise again by faith and trust in him alone. As Jesus himself promised, everyone who sees the son and believes will have eternal life. And look at this promise. And I will raise him up on the last day. Jesus promises every Christian on planet earth, I will raise you up on the last day. This is why we don't fear death. This is why we don't fear anything. Because the risen Christ promises, and I will raise you too. Our sins are overcome by the risen Jesus. Our lives are now lodged into the risen Jesus. Our entire existence is banking on the risen Jesus. Friends, Jesus is not a death-defying Savior. He did die. Jesus is a death-reversing Savior, a death-conquering Savior. When Jesus rose from the dead, this is more than him just saying, look at this great miracle I performed. By Jesus rising from the dead, he undid the algorithm of sin. That when sin entered into the world, death came. So Jesus dies, not for his sins, but for ours. And he hacked into the algorithm of sin and destroyed it. And he rose again from the dead. So now it's not just sin leads to death. Now we have the equation Christ leads to life. Jesus reconfigured the universe. This is how gigantic the resurrection of Christ is. He did something that has never been done before. Sure, Jesus rose Lazarus from the dead, but Lazarus died again, didn't he? Jesus rose from the dead in a perfected, glorified body, never to die again, 2,000 years later, still alive, showing us there is more to birth announcements and there is more than what our obituaries will say. There's more than what's going to be on all of our tombstones. That there is life after death. And the risen Jesus proves it. So what's your reaction to the resurrection of Jesus? Where are you on the reaction to the resurrection? Mary and Mary, they worship him at the end of verse 9. And Jesus doesn't stop them. Jewish people know to worship anyone other than God is blasphemy and worthy of death. So Jesus doesn't stop them. Why? Because he is God. He's not just a good teacher. He's not just a a neat miracle worker, but that he is God and receives their worship. Do you worship him? Do you worship the risen Lord Jesus? And the fact that Jesus isn't a pile of bone dust right now is meant to ignite the fuse of our worship. That's why we sing to him. That's why we praise him. That's why we eat his flesh and drink his blood and the Lord's Supper. That's why we live for him. That's why we tell other people about him because he lives. But then there also are also the soldiers' reactions and the religious leaders. Look at verse 11. While they were going, the women were going to tell his brothers, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. Well, what did they tell them? Hey, we were watching guard, and these ladies were walking up, and then some alien landed. And he made the earth crack. And that guy by himself rolled back the stone and he sat on it. And we were going to stop him, but man, we passed out. This is what they're telling Pilate. This is what they're telling these religious leaders. And what do these guys say? That's amazing. Why don't we go worship him too? No, verse 12, and when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they're having meetings, backdoor meetings, side meetings. They're taking out loans. They gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, tell people his disciples came by night and stole them away while we were asleep. The soldiers may have been on the verge. of <laughs> Man, you're not gonna believe what happened. And then all it took was a little bit of cash Well, a lot of cash, I guess. Cares of the world and a little bribe and they turn the other way. The religious leaders, they're the ones behind this. They're evading the claims of Christ. So where are you? Are you evading Jesus today? There's really two options. You're either exalting him Or you're evading him. You're either worshiping him or turning from him. You can be his disciple just like Joseph, just like Mary and and Mary and just like Nicodemus. Or you're acting like the religious leaders and even the guards. Distancing yourself from him. This Easter, there is no more important decision in your life. Will you worship Jesus, for dying on the cross for your sins and rising again from the dead, or will you keep pretending like it doesn't matter? I encourage you to react responsibly to the resurrection because he really is alive. If Jesus were still dead, the New Testament wouldn't even exist. If Jesus were still dead, there wouldn't be a single church on planet earth. In fact, you wouldn't even know his name. Because of the way Jesus died, a shameful death and crucifixion, if he were still dead, no one would have kept talking about him. It would have been like everyone else that was crucified. But because he lives, there are now more songs and more books and more paintings about him than anyone else in human history. If Jesus were still dead, you wouldn't even be at church today. And friends, if Jesus were still dead, no government would outlaw people talking about him. But since he lives, you've heard of him. Since he lives, there is a New Testament. Since he lives, there are churches, not just in America, but in India and in Thailand and in Iraq and in North Korea, where it costs almost your life to gather and to worship Jesus. Why else would people do that? Because he lives. You must react to the resurrection. In fact, you, you already are. You are either denying and evading, or you are worshiping. Where are you today? Jesus Himself invites you to believe in Him for the forgiveness of your sins. You may feel like, oh, I don't know if I'm ready. I don't know if I have my life together. I still got stuff I need to work on. None of that is really relevant. What matters is, is Jesus alive? And do you believe it? As the Bible promises, if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This is the great promise that God offers everyone in this room. If you believe Jesus really is the Lord, he really is more than just some man who died, but he is God's son and he is the king of the universe and that he's alive. That God raised him from the dead. You believe that and you will be saved. There's no, well, you know, try to become a good person and then Jesus will save you. There is no, hey, try to do a lot of good works and then, then you'll be worthy enough. The, the point of Christianity is that none of us are worthy enough. There was only one who rose again and he invites us to believe in him and he will bring us with him into everlasting life. For almost 2,000 years now, people keep testifying and worshiping about a risen Jesus join us. Join us today. Join us next week. Join us in eternity. Let's worship the risen Lord Jesus together. He lives. He is our hope. Happy Easter. Let's pray together. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.